Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Tonight, I have the privilege of sharing with you my life verse. What is a life verse? I hear you ask. It's a passage of scripture or a key verse that's been a constant source of encouragement since the early years of being a Christian. Most Christians would have a life verse. It's a verse that they always go back to in tough times. It's that source of encouragement that's been there for them for a long period of time. By way of introduction, tonight I want to take you back to the late 80s. It was a simpler time. There was no such thing as mobile phones. The internet as we know it didn't exist. There was no such thing as email. Our computers didn't even have hard drives. We saved everything onto a floppy disk that held less than a megabyte. You remember? They were painfully slow. They were unreliable, but they were amazing. When we communicated, we picked up the telephone, you know, the one that's mounted to the wall. All right, you picked up the phone and then you had to rotary dial each number. Tick, 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 tick. Tick, 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 tick. Oh, got it wrong. Click. Tick, 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 tick. Tick. Remember those? It was back in a time when if you didn't do that, your only other option was send a letter. When banks shut on Friday afternoon, that was it. Whatever money you had in your wallet, that was it for the weekend. There were no ATMs, no FPOS, just cash. Most of the shops shut at 12pm on Saturday and weren't open on Sunday at all. Those that were open were usually overpriced and uninspiring. And most of them were in the front of someone's house. And when you walked in there, the shopkeeper was very clear about how unhappy they were that you would dare come into their shop. The Chernobyl and Space Shuttle Challenger disasters were still in the back of our minds. Interest rates were ridiculously high, about 17%. Stretched household budgets very thin, but it was a simpler time. The music, well, the music was amazing. The music, the music was the best music ever. In Excess, Jimmy Barnes, Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, just to name a few. I was in my mid-teens, growing up on our family farm about 25 kilometres outside of a small country town called Pinaroo. Pinaroo is really just a spot on the road, on the Oyen Highway, about two and a half hours from Adelaide, with a population of approximately 500 in the township. The population of the entire district could fit in this room. 
Our farm was an average size, about a thousand acres. We produced crops, mostly barley with some wheat. We had 1,500 chickens, 800 sheep. Every day we had both inside and outside jobs that we needed to do. Lots of animals that needed to be fed, lots of, lots of eggs that needed to be collected. The towns either side of Pinaroo, well, they were the enemy. We played against them in football, in cricket, in tennis, in volleyball. But Maraville, Maraville was really the enemy because it was in Victoria. Pinaroo, six kilometres inside the South Australian border. You, I can't explain how proud we were of those six kilometres. Those six kilometres made all the difference to us. I had about 18 friends. How do I know? Because they were all the people born the same year that I was in Pinaroo. And we went through school together. Things were tight financially. We didn't have a lot of the latest stuff. But what we did have was time and space. What we did have was BMX bikes and our own track. What we did have was underground forts with tunnels that went everywhere. What we did have was air rifles and knives, <laughs> motorcycles and cars. Although if you look at the cars, you'd be hard pressed to really call them a car anymore. It really looked more like something out of Mad Max. What we did have was adventure. I can remember when I was 11, running around the scrub outside our house at Pinaroo, pretending I was Rambo. <laughs> now, for many of you, you'd say, but everyone imagined they were Rambo. Well, that's true. Except I imagined I was Rambo with real knives strapped to my body, <laughs> with a real rifle in my hands and with a real slingshot in my back pocket. I was ready for anything. I learnt to drive by the age of 13. Regularly visited the neighbours driving through the paddocks. And I can remember by the age of 14, my dad having a go at me because I was tearing up those paddocks that I was driving through and he wasn't very happy. People ask me all the time, what was it like living in the country? That's not true. What they normally ask me is, what was it like living in the country? My usual response is anyone who thinks country people are slow hasn't driven with any of them. <laughs> to be honest, I enjoyed it. I really did. Much to my wife's disgust, it's probably where I get my love of camping, my love of the great outdoors. But if I answer the question honestly, growing up in Pinaroo was Bogan Central. Some people attend feral fundraisers. Some people dress up as bogans for fun. But I lived it. <laughs> we all wore the same thing. Dark blue drill pants. Blunston boots. Dark blue tank tops with flannelette shirts over the top. 
and we all had mullets. <laughs> Business at the front, party at the back. All of us. If I'm honest, I also knew that I didn't quite fit. For most of my friends, their biggest aspiration was to go back home on the family farm. And for me, that wasn't for me. I was more academic, I was good at school, and I knew that farming wasn't going to be part of my future. One day when I was about 15, I remember that we had another family coming over for lunch, and mum asked me to light the barbecue. Now, when I say barbecue, you're probably thinking of what you've got at your house now. Four burners, the plate, the grill, the side burner, the hood, the igniter. Nah, none of that. None of that. This was thick, heavy steel. It was a two-person lift to move this thing around. It only had two burners, but those burners ran side to side And they looked, to be honest with you, more like flamethrowers than burners. Man, that thing could pump out some heat. In Pinaroo, it wasn't built right if it wasn't indestructible or overkill. I remember mum asked me to light the barbecue. Now, no igniter, trusty candle was how we lit our barbecue. So I remember going out to the barbecue, turned the bottle on, lit the candle, turned the gas on, put the candle into the barbecue, and the candle blew out. That'd be right. Do the right thing, turn the gas off, relight the candle, put it in, blew out again. I just figured it's a bit of air in the line. We'll be fine. Lit the candle. Turned the gas on, poked the candle in, and got met with a fireball coming back the other way. What I didn't know was that the gas hadn't drained out of the barbecue. The gas was just holding in there next to the burner. And as soon as I put that candle in for the third time, it just created that right mixture of gas with air, with an ignition source, and boom. I remember vividly, I could see the fireball coming at me. I could see the individual flames within that fireball coming at me. I remember the heat on my face. I remember the smell, the smell of burning hair. Now, a little bit of burning hair has an awful smell. But this was my mullet. (laughs) This was no little bit of hair. The damage to the mullet was tragic. No eyebrows. No eyelashes. The business at the front wasn't so much business at the front. There certainly was no party at the back. (laughs) I couldn't actually even see it, even if I wanted to. The heat 
from that fireball had actually welded my eyelids shut. I don't know if it was just the hairs that had actually all fused together or whether it was the skin. But either way, I couldn't open my eyes. There was nothing I could do. Except yell out. So I did. When anything goes wrong when you're growing up, what do you yell? Mom! Mom came out. When she saw me, she went into instant hysterics. Instantly screaming, instantly freaking out. Now, I was blind, remember. That did me the world of good, hearing my mother rushing out screaming and probably waving her hands. But once she gathered herself together, she called Dad over from one of the other sheds and she bundled me into the car and drove me into the Pinaroo Hospital, which is about 20 minutes away. I remember that car trip explicitly. My eyes were welded shut, but I'd done this trip often enough that I knew every turn. Wherever this car was going, like I knew what was coming next. We're bundled into this small hatchback, which was a manual. My mum, for 20 minutes driving, driving into town, had her hand on my knee when she wasn't changing gear. And all I heard for 20 minutes was, Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. That, that was it. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. For 20 minutes. Oh, Jesus. For 20 minutes, I'm sitting there thinking, Mum, put two hands on the wheel. We're going to die. Oh, Jesus. It was all she could do. When we got to the hospital, the nurses were able to get my eyes open. They could tell that I needed the doctor. Now, you wouldn't normally think this, but that was actually a problem. Because our doctor was actually part-time doctor and part-time farmer. Dr. Murray, the man who delivered me as a baby, was actually on the farm that day. And so the nurses put antiseptic cream all over my burnt face and a big pad, big white gauze pad stuck straight over the whole thing with a cutout here so that I could breathe. And then they bundled me back into the car with mum to drive out to the doctor's farm so we could see what was happening. So looking like a mummy, smelling of burnt hair, back in the same car, back to the doctor's farm. At least by this stage, mum was a bit calmer. When we finally saw Dr Murray, he noticed that the fireball had taken the glaze off my cornea. Have a look at the person next to you. Look into their eyes. If you look into their eyes... For some of you, this is new relationships forming right now. For for, for some of you, this is date night starting. (laughs) If you look into their eyes, what you'll see is that the cornea, the outside part of their eye, is actually quite sparkly, quite clear. Mine was dull and opaque, looked like scratched glass. So the doctor said, great, glad you drove from the hospital to my farm, but now we need you to drive back to 
the hospital because we have to admit you. For three days, quite literally, I was blind. For three days, I had iPads, white gauze iPads over both eyes. Couldn't see, except for three times a day for two minutes. Two nurses would come into my room. One would hold an eye open while the other squeezed a paste from the outside to the inside, both eyes. I'm sure it's not this bad, but it sort of reminded me of like mixing plaster to fix holes in walls. That's what it really felt like. It's a crazy feeling when something that you've always had, like your sight, gets taken away from you. I've heard people say that eventually you adjust and your other senses are heightened and take over. But I didn't have time to adjust. I knew that this was a temporary condition. I knew that I would get my sight back. But still, it was a crazy three days of being blind. The first thing I lost when I was in the hospital was my spatial awareness. When you're trying to feel your way around a room, particularly a hospital room and a hospital bathroom, there's just way too many obstacles. As I was feeling my way around the room, I hit the emergency call button several times, which was okay when I wasn't in the bathroom. But of course, as soon as you hit that, everyone comes running And it's not a great feeling, I must say. As I was learning my surroundings, I knew that it was 10 steps, 10 steps across my bathroom. And if I got those 10 steps, I'd get to the wall and I could come sideways and that would be where the shower was. Until the second day, obviously I was feeling a little bit more confident and my steps got a little bit bigger. And after seven, I slammed my burnt face into the wall on the other side. Why didn't I put my hands up? Hey, I was 15. I knew everything. I knew where the wall was. Found it. The simplest things were the most frustrating Going to the toilet was a challenge. First of all, I needed to give myself time to find the toilet. So you're blind, you're walking around. A couple of times I found the inside of the toilet bowl rather than the outside of the toilet bowl (laughs) as I was trying to feel my way around. And then you've got a dilemma. What do I do? Do I try and find the basin and wash my hand or do I go to the toilet? I'm not going to tell you what the answer was. (laughs) The second thing I lost was my sense of time. When you're blind and you've got nowhere to go, time becomes irrelevant. Just lying there anyway. It's not strictly true though, because when you're playing your cold chisel at 2am in the morning, 
I was having a great time, but apparently the nurses weren't. And I found out that they didn't have the same appreciation to Jimmy Barnes at 2am as what I did. The third thing I lost was my sense of humour. I had lots of visitors, lots of family and friends that wanted to come and see me and rearrange my furniture before they left. (laughs) The nurse would come in with my dinner and she'd put the dinner in front of me on the tray and she'd say, okay, the meat is at 12 o'clock on the plate. And as you go around, your mashed potatoes at three, your peas are at six, your carrots are at nine. And then one of my family or friends would just twist the plate (laughs) a little bit. Eating looked more like using my left hand to find what was on the plate, stabbing it with the fork that was in my right hand, and then trying to eat it. And seriously, who gives peas to a blind person? I mean, come on, they roll around the plate at the best of times. I'm sure more of them landed on the floor than in my mouth. After three days, the bandages were removed. I still had to stay in the hospital room. I still had to stay in the dark. They didn't want to shock my eyes too much with having extra light. As I was uh, exploring my room, really, for the first time, that I could see, I was surprised by how it was nothing like what I'd imagined it in my mind. It was much smaller than what I'd imagined, looked much different. As I was searching in the top drawer of the bedside table was a Gideon's Bible. And the Bible just opened up and this verse just leapt out at me, grabbed my attention. It was 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. It's hard to describe exactly how that verse impacted my life that day. But it is my life verse. It's the verse that I always come back to in a tough time. Because it's a time where God grab my attention there's three things that I just want to draw out from this verse tonight first one God has his eye on you as he looks on us through the lens of the Holy Spirit he sees us as pure innocent and beautiful he lovingly longingly looks at all of humanity and encourages us to choose to follow him. He cares for us. He loves us. Church, as God has his eye on you, can I encourage you to look back into God's eyes? When you do that today, you're not going to find condemnation. Today, you will not find disappointment. You will not find anger in those eyes if you choose to look into them for as long as there's breath in our bodies what you will find in those eyes is love acceptance 
and care. The second thing, God's eyes aren't stationary. He hasn't put us in the playroom and checking on us occasionally. He isn't half asleep with one eye open and one eye closed. He isn't just strolling past and giving a casual glance. He isn't passive or hesitant. He's actively searching and looking, pursuing us with his grace, his mercy, and his love. I can assure you that just as God had his eye on me back then, he has his eye on you now. He's still looking. His eyes are still roaming, looking for those whose heart is loyal to him. The second thing, God wants to strengthen you. It isn't enough just to look. When that fireball erupted over me, when I called my mum, if mum came out and looked at me lovingly and with care, it's not enough. Action is required. Similarly, when I went to the hospital, if the nurses looked at me with love and acceptance and care, well, that's great. Face burnt. Action is still required. God has his eye on you for a purpose. He wants to strengthen you. And that's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. It's not our strength. It's not meant to be. It's God showing himself strong on our behalf. It's the strength that we find when we focus our attention on him. The best part is not only that God wants to strengthen you, he actually can do it. God's strength is limitless. And when we come to him needing strength, he has plenty to spare. And he loves to help. Church, regardless of what you're facing at the moment, God wants to strengthen you to give you the perseverance necessary to get through. Final thing. God is everywhere. God's not limited by time and space as we are. His eye roams the whole earth. He's eager. He wants to help. And he wants to help anyone and anywhere, someone who is fully committed to him. This scripture, God only spoke it, God spoke it over me once in Pinaru. If you go back to the Pinaru Soldiers Memorial Hospital, there's no shrine there. There's no altar that says, God spoke here. To be honest, I'm thankful that I don't have to go back to Pinaru every time I want to hear God. Because God's everywhere. God always reminds me of the story. He always reminds me of the life verse, but we get to carry that with us. 
God looked down from heaven on a young, bogan, misfit, stuck in a hospital bed in a small, out-of-the-way town and said, I love you in the most meaningful way possible. Church, I'm going to just press pause right here. Because God's eyes roam the earth and he's looking for us. But right here is a moment where we can stop and we can look back into his eyes and see the love and the care and the acceptance that he wants to show everyone. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.